This morning, we're excited to welcome our guest speaker, Pastor Ben Hacker from Eastside Church. And in continuation of our sermon series, The Gospel According to Jacob, our scripture reading this morning is Genesis 28, 10 through 22. Jacob left Bathsheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring." Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, And will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Good morning, Redeemer City. How are you? Yeah, you guys need to come and teach Eastside how to respond to that. (laughs) Five years in, we're still struggling. A lot of introverts. Um, So first off, I've been waiting since last August to apologize to you guys. And uh, at the risk of lengthening this sermon, my apologies for preaching for almost an hour last time I was here. And I just want to let you know that's not my M.O., Uh, And so hopefully this morning we'll come in a little less from there. But before we get into this morning, uh, Father's Day, it's here. And it's always the challenge of of being up here and thinking about how to address a varied group of people and try to change this kind of hallmark feeling day into something that can be meaningful in the middle of a worship service. And I think that there's just so many different ways to think of fathers. Every one of us in this room has a different experience with our father. Some of us had fathers very attentive, present. Some of us had other people filling in the role of father in our lives. Some of you moms have been both mom and dad. Some of you have no relationship with your father. Some never knew him. We have a phrase that we use at East Side that politics divides, but the gospel unites, right? And I think our views on fathers could divide us into all kinds of different groups. But the gospel calls us to a different view of our heavenly father that can be very unifying 
and allow us to walk with one another. And I'm just reminded this morning, as I was thinking about this, the words of Jesus in John 17. He says something incredibly profound. He's talking to his father, and he says, I'm not asking only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So whatever your relationship with your Father today, we can celebrate a Heavenly Father who loves us so deeply and so much that he presenced himself with us in the form of Jesus And now by the Holy Spirit walks with us every day. Amen? Amen. Well, my dad, Don Hacker, introduced me to the writings of J.R.R. Tolkien when I was a young boy. I remember at the age of eight reading The Hobbit. And for those of you who don't know, it's been out for a long time. The Hobbit is is a beloved fantasy novel by J.R.R. Tolkien, as I said, that follows this unexpected journey of Bilbo Baggins. He's a hobbit. He prefers quiet and predictable life. However, his world is turned upside down when the wizard Gandalf and a group of dwarves show up at his doorstep, inviting him to embark on a journey. As Bilbo sets out on this unknown adventure, he quickly realizes that the path ahead is filled with danger, uncertainty, and the unfamiliar. He encounters trolls, goblins, giant spiders, and a fearsome dragon named Smaug. The quest's ultimate destination is the Lonely Mountain where the dwarves seek to reclaim their homeland and treasure. And throughout the journey, Gandalf serves as a guide and mentor to Bilbo, even though he is not constantly by his side. Gandalf's presence is often felt through his wise counsel, magical interventions, and unexpected appearances. He provides Bilbo with the tools and knowledge he needs to navigate the challenges that lie ahead of him on the journey. As Bilbo faces countless risk after risk, he discovers hidden reserves of bravery and resourcefulness that he never knew he possessed. While Gandalf may not always be present, he is with him. His influence and guidance have shaped Bilbo's character, helped him to overcome these obstacles that he faces. Well, this morning's passage, as you heard, tells the story of Jacob's encounter with God as he sets out on a long journey through the wilderness, alone, and uncertain of what will happen to him. God isn't uncertain. He knows how he will use this encounter to shape not just the future of his people for generations of Jacob's family, but echoes into our lives today. So, if you don't have your Bible still open, would you turn with me to Genesis 28? We're going to hang out in these verses 10 through 22 this morning. And we're going to see Jacob's encounter with God and his response of wonder and worship. We're going to see Jacob's wholehearted commitment to serve and follow him. Genesis 28, 10 through 22 is a story that holds a valuable lesson for our lives today, reminding us that even in our moments of loneliness and uncertainty, God is with us, extending an invitation to wonder and worship as we learn to wholeheartedly follow him. And so before we get started, let me pray for us and we'll dive in. God, we need your guidance this morning as we come to your word. We recognize that we have need of your help in understanding what you are saying to us this morning and applying these words. 
Without your wisdom, Father, without your insight, we cannot fully grasp the depth of your truth and live it out in our daily lives. So we rely on the power of the gospel at work in us. Spirit, I pray that you would be active in my brothers and sisters, that we would think big thoughts of Jesus together as we work through this text, that we would see God's handiwork and plan over generations to to not only preserve his people for their benefit, but to display himself as a promise-keeping God who is present always. And so I pray that you would turn our attention, our affection to Christ. Would you change us and mold us this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start in by focusing on the first five verses. This is Jacob's encounter with God in the wilderness. And at this point in Jacob's life, he finds himself isolated and vulnerable, both externally and internally. He's fleeing from his mistakes and fractured relationships. Jacob's heart is burdened with guilt, fear, and uncertainty. I don't think it's a stretch to say. So let's catch up, refresh our minds with God's word, and I'm going to read the first Five verses of this passage. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So in the midst of this desolate place, God chooses to reveal himself to Jacob in a dream. God often reveals himself in dreams if you look through Scripture. There's something about the vulnerability of humanity when we're asleep that God enjoys working in. Jacob witnesses this vision of a ladder, connects heaven and earth, angels ascending and descending, and at the top of the ladder is God himself looking down, speaking directly to Jacob reaffirming the covenant that he had made with his father Isaac and his father Abraham. The divine encounter transforms Jacob's understanding of the wilderness experience that he's in. It changes the outlook on his whole journey ahead of him. He realizes that even when he is alone, God is present. God reaches out to Jacob, ensuring him of his faithfulness, the fulfillment of his promises, The wilderness journey becomes a space where Jacob finds solace in the abiding presence of God. Imagine a young professional navigating the bustling streets of New York City, surrounded by a sea of people still feeling a profound sense of loneliness and disconnection. Maybe you've been in this situation. In a culture driven by constant activity and digital interactions that often leave us isolated, We're learning to relate to this feeling of being adrift in the midst of a crowd all too readily. In a society where we're constantly bombarded with notifications, virtual friendships, the illusion of connection at our fingertips, it's paradoxical that we would find ourselves feeling more disconnected than ever. We may have hundreds of friends on social media, but how many truly know the depths of our hearts? 
How many truly understand the struggles that we face or offer genuine support? Jacob's loneliness extends beyond his physical isolation. His broken relationship, particularly with his brother Esau and his father Isaac, no doubt are exacerbating this sense of disconnection as he leaves his home, all that he's ever known. However, God's presence in the wilderness offers a chance for deep attachment. Attachment that bridges the gap of his broken relationships. See, God sees Jacob's heart, understands his fears, and addresses the fractures within his family. Through his attunement to Jacob, God brings healing and restoration. The story of Jacob's interaction with God's presence reminds us that even in our broken relationships, God's presence provides the opportunity for connection that our hearts long for. He knows us. He made us. In him we find solace, healing, and the assurance that we are never truly alone. In response to this understanding, we can actively seek God's presence in our moments of loneliness, knowing that he is walking with us. Furthermore, as we cultivate a deep awareness of God's presence, we can extend his love to those around us who may be experiencing their own wilderness seasons. We can be conduits of comfort and hope, actively listening, offering encouragement, and sharing our stories of encountering God in our wilderness journeys. And of course, the place where these all come together is the church. It plays a vital role in creating spaces of community, belonging, where individuals can experience the transformative power of genuine connection. I was on the phone with a friend of mine, best friend in high school, not a believer, kind of moved toward God a couple of times, but is living apart from God. And we were talking, just kind of catching up. It had been a couple of years and He's like, yeah, I'm thinking about finding a youth group for my kids. And not only is this guy living apart from God, he's hostile towards the things of God. And he's in a part of the country that's extremely hostile. And so this was a shocking statement to me. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, as I think back over my life, my years in catechism at the Lutheran church my parents forced me to go to were the deepest sense of community that I've ever felt in my life. We have an opportunity to be a place of love and acceptance where people find refuge from the loneliness that pervades our culture in an ever-increasing way. By rehearsing gospel-driven vulnerability, extending hospitality, and practicing true attachment in our relationships, we reflect the love and the presence of God. It's our ministry to one another, and it's our witness to the watching world around us. Well, we've seen how Jacob uh, is met by God God speaks directly to him. So let's continue to see Jacob's response of wonder and worship in verses 16 and 17. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Upon waking from his dream, Jacob realizes the profound nature of his encounter with God. He's filled immediately with awe, with wonder. I mean, his, his sentence of, de- of declaration is not one where you might come around the corner in, in late at night and not realize that one of your children is in the kitchen getting a drink of water, and it's all of a sudden like, ah, someone else is in his place. It's not that. He's overjoyed. He's excited. He is He is seeing the significance that is carried by this meeting. 
Jacob's awakening to God's presence echoes into our story as well, revealing that God's presence transcends sacred spaces and religious rituals. In the wilderness of his fear and isolation, Jacob discovers that God has been with him all along, that God is in that place. And his declaration reminds us that our limited perceptions do not hinder, that hinder our awareness of God's presence, do not hinder his presence with us. His divine intervention opens our spiritual eyes to the reality of his nearness in our life. I grew up kind of in the area over the Baraboo Dells area. I grew up hiking all the state parks kind of in this part of the country. My dad would work during the week and on Saturdays it was always a day trip out to one of the state parks to go hiking. I know the trails really well. But it wasn't until Nikki and I got married and started hiking the same trails together that I actually got to know them. See, I tend to be a point-to-point hiker. It's a mission. We aim ourselves at where we're going, and we move at a steady pace until we get there. I look around me. I see incredible things, but I do not stop. Nikki, on the other hand, has her head on a swivel, back and forth, up and down, looking for a reason to stop. And oh, does she find them. I've learned so much from her. Her ability to to find beauty in the simplicity of the details of creation around us captivates me in a way that's just amazing. Her childlike perspective has opened my eyes to the world's wonders in a way that you can't quite see looking out of my six-foot-two eyes just like this. And I love how she's passing it on to our kids as well. It's this contagious sense of wonder, and it helps me to connect with God. I've learned to echo Jacob's exclamation, surely the Lord is in this place. Look at this really cool bug that's probably going to bite me in like two seconds. Nikki is my woodland worship leader, reminding me of God's infinite wisdom, creativity. Her unwavering ability to find joy and awe in these simple moments just inspires me to cultivate a childlike perspective myself, to help me to attune in to the wonders around me, God's presence at work in the seemingly mundane in my life. See, Jacob didn't just stumble into worship, though. He's been rehearsing it since he was a boy. He'd been taught from a young age to understand how God has organized the world under his authority. He's learned that when God reveals himself, we respond. And we need to cultivate a knowledge of God's mind, heart, and will so that when we encounter him, we're able to respond as well with the same sense of wonder and the sense of worship as Jacob. It involves being so intentional with our spiritual practices. And I'm not speaking to you at a time when, when schedules are just awry, right? Everything, the sun's out late, it's up early, kids' bedtimes are thrown off, work, everyone's kind of like, Meh. vacations are starting, right? The patchwork, like, oh, that family's gone this week, okay. I understand that this is not always the time that we think to set these intentional rhythms in our lives, right? It's like summer for like three weeks. We want to enjoy it. But I just want to put these in your mind. You can kind of think about them. And maybe there's even a way to install some of these things if they're not already working. So these are just six ideas. I think six. Six, yeah. If you're not setting aside dedicated time in your daily routine for solitude, silence, and reflection... It's a good place to start. Engage in prayer, both on your own and in community. 
Practicing meditation to quiet our minds and focus on God's truth. The Holy Spirit is active when we gather together. So maybe it's something that Katie said this morning, or a song, or something Noah prayed for. Just jot it down. Meditate on that truth throughout the week. Study and reflect on God's Word. Immerse ourselves in the Word. Helps us to know the mind and heart and will of God. Embracing acts of gratitude and thanksgiving. Looking for opportunities to serve other people with generosity, reflecting love and compassion of Christ. So by intentionally incorporating these spiritual practices into our lives, we open ourselves up to the transformative power of encountering God's presence on a regular basis. And this nurtures our sense of wonder, calls us to a worship that permeates every aspect of our existence. And these personal lives of wonder and worship prepare us to gather for corporate worship with intentionality. It concerns me when I hear people talking like this, and I don't mean to cast condemnation, but instead I want to I call away from this. So if this is, your, this is your way of thinking about the Sunday gathering, just see this as a gentle nudge in a different direction. But whenever people talk about needing to come to church on Sunday to get filled up for the week, that concerns me as pastor. It's a consumeristic viewpoint that crept in from our culture. Friends, it skews the purpose of Sunday morning towards a self-focus when God desires us to be focused on Him and other people. If our motivation for coming together is based on self, we aren't just going to flip a switch when we arrive and make it about God and others. Redeemer City, practicing responding to God in your daily lives will prepare you to encounter His presence on Sunday morning, which will make you excited to meet Him again throughout the week, which will draw you back to the gathering the next Sunday. Do you see? We're called to approach his presence with anticipation and expectation, ready to be overwhelmed by his majesty and goodness. In doing so, we create an environment where others can experience the wonder of encountering God's presence with us. Through intentional spiritual practices and active participation in corporate worship, may our hearts be continually attuned to the awe-inspiring presence of God, prompting us to respond with reverence, worship, and deepest sense of connection with him and with others. So now we're going to look at the third section of our, of our passage this morning. This is verses 18 through 22. We're going to see Jacob's wholehearted commitment to God that follows his encounter with God in the midst of the wilderness, his response of worship and awe, and then his making of this tangible commitment. So let's refresh our memory on verses 18 through 22. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and it set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Ludz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if, if God will be with me and I will keep in his way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a tenth to you. Jacob's first act of setting up a pillar using the stone he had used as a pillow establishes something physical, something tangible to commemorate this divine encounter. This pillar serves as a visual reminder of God's presence and the promise made, symbolizing the covenant between 
not only Jacob and God, but all of humanity and God. It represents a turning point in Jacob's own life, a moment of consecration where he sets himself apart for God's purposes. If you remember early at the beginning of the chapter, this is where Isaac blesses Jacob instead of Esau. But as, as a reader, we're left wondering, is God in this blessing? God's been working through firstborns. Now it seems like Jacob and his mom schemed to make this other thing happen. Is God in this? We don't get an answer for why, but we get an answer, yes, he's in this right here. And the pouring of the oil upon the stone further emphasizes the act of Jacob consecrating himself to the Lord. Oil has been long associated with the presence and the blessing of God. Through this act, Jacob acknowledges the sacredness of the place, designating it as the house of God. It signifies his recognition that the encounter was not a mere dream, not a coincidence, but an interaction with the divine. These tangible actions of Jacob illustrate his wholehearted commitment to God. They demonstrate his desire to honor God, remember the encounter, and fulfill the vows that he makes to God. And if we feel like Jacob's commitment to God is a little wishy-washy, it kind of sounds like the ways that we tell our kids not to respond to us, right? Well, if you do this for me, then I'll do that for you, right? This bartering system. But I, I think it appears that that's what Jacob is doing, but that's not what Jacob is doing. Jacob is saying, God, if you can be faithful to your character, if you will follow through on what you have promised, then I know that I also will be able to follow through. Because your faithfulness sets the marker for me to follow in my life. And reflecting on Jacob's example, we're, we're all challenged to examine the depth of our own devotion to God, aren't we? Are we fully committed to serving and following him with our whole being, trusting him to be faithful? Are we willing to set ourselves up for his purposes? Acknowledging his presence in our lives is active and regular. This commitment is not superficial adherence, but a deeply rooted conviction that impacts our whole life. Victor Hugo, his popular novel Les Mis, introduces us to this powerful contrast between the two central characters, Valjean and Javert. If you're not familiar, it's also a great musical. Wow, not musical fans, okay. Well, it is. And through the two divergent paths of these main characters, Hugo masterfully highlights the stark differences in their commitments to God. See, Jean Valjean embodies a wholehearted commitment to God. He's driven by love, compassion, and forgiveness. He's transformed by a profound encounter with God's mercy and grace. Valjean becomes a symbol of redemption and the embodiment of Christ-like virtues. He dedicates his life to caring for the poor, advocating for justice, extending mercy to those in need. His commitment is marked by selflessness, humility, and an unwavering desire to make a positive impact in the lives of others. On the other hand, Javert represents a rigid adherence to the letter of the law, devoid of mercy and compassion. Driven by a legalistic mindset, he is consumed by a relentless pursuit of justice without room for any forgiveness or grace. Javert's commitment is marked by a strict adherence to rules and a failure to grasp the true essence of a wholehearted devotion to God, a failure to grasp the expanse of God's love for him. 
He represents a limited understanding of God's character, a limited understanding of the transformative power of love and redemption. And this contrast between these two men encourages us to examine our motivations and the depth of commitment that we have to God. And really, when I say depth, I mean source. Where does it come from? We have to remember that wholehearted commitment is not fueled by our own strength alone, but by the transforming work of the Holy Spirit within us. This is not a grab your bootstraps and live for God. In fact, as we continue to follow Jacob, we're going to see times where Jacob tries to to work an outcome for himself. It doesn't go well. He ends up with two wives. Well, there's some other shady business that happens too, but anyway, come back a couple weeks for that. But the reality is that as we yield to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives, he empowers us to live lives fully dedicated to God. They're not, not, there's no uh, duplicity. There's no dualism of being one way in a place on a Sunday morning or in a group in someone's home and then having the rest of our lives living for ourselves. God's love and grace in our interactions with others is manifest as we fully devote ourselves to him. Well, as we reflect on the story of Jacob's encounter with God's presence, I want to remind us of another story in Genesis that directly contrasts with Jacob's encounter with God. The Tower of Babel is found in Genesis chapter 11. You might know the story. It tells of a united humanity with a shared language that sets out to build a tower that would reach the heavens. They desire to make a name for themselves and establish their own greatness. This project is driven by pride, self-sufficiency, and a desire to reach divine heights without acknowledging God's authority. However, their plans were thwarted by God himself. He sees their arrogance and the potential dangers of their unified rebellion. He confuses their language and scatters them across the earth. The Tower of Babel is a cautionary tale, highlighting the consequences of human pride, the futility of trying to attain divine connection through human efforts alone. And in contrast, we're provided the story of Jacob, who amid his own journey in the wilderness sees this ladder extending from earth to heaven. This ladder serves as a bridge between the realms of the earthly and the divine. Angels ascend and descend on the ladder, symbolizing the constant communication and interaction between heaven and earth. But this ladder is not a product of human effort. It's a product of divine revelation. It represents the accessibility of God's presence and divine initiative to reach humanity. Rather than human ambition and self-sufficiency, Jacob's ladder displays God's desire to establish relationship with his people to fulfill his promise. Bruce Waltke suggests that the contrast between the Tower of Babel and Jacob's ladder reflects the difference between a religion of human achievement and a religion of divine revelation. The Tower of Babel represents human efforts to reach God on our own, setting the terms ourselves, driven by pride, driven by self-exaltation. On the other hand, Jacob's ladder illustrates God's gracious initiative to come down to us revealing himself and offering us a way to connect with him. Well, of course, these themes find their ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is having an encounter with Nathanael, and he refers specifically to Jacob's ladder. 
And he says, this. Sure as Nathaniel and all of us that we will see even greater things from him. The promises of God find their fulfillment all in Christ as yes and amen. And just as Jacob set up a pillar, anointed it with oil, set it apart as a reminder of his encounter with God, we are called to set our lives up as pillars and monuments of our commitment to God that we would found ourselves, that we would ground ourselves, that we would establish firm on the cornerstone of Christ a living faith. Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has opened the way for us to experience the ultimate presence of God, the ultimate true belonging and profound encounter with the abiding presence of God. And so as we close this morning, We must regularly refresh our memory that Jesus is where our deepest yearnings for belonging are met. In him, we discover the fullest acceptance, security, and love. He's the one who walks with us through every wilderness experience, assuring us that we are never alone. As we respond to his invitation, we're invited to establish pillars of unwavering faith, consecrating our lives to his service, living in the reality of his promises to us in Christ. So Redeemer City, as we wholeheartedly devote ourselves to Jesus, learn to surrender our desires and ambitions to him, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve and faithfully follow. Just as Jacob gave a portion of all God had provided back to him, may we steward our resources, time, and talents to advance God's kingdom under the lordship of Jesus. And in doing so, we become channels through which his love, grace, and compassion flow, revealing the availability of his presence to those around us and to the next generation who we trust God will reveal himself to and continue on and on, as we have since Jacob. In Jesus, we find the embodiment of all of our longings fulfilled. He's the way, the only way. He's the highest truth. He is our life. As we walk in his presence, we experience the abundant joy of being truly at home, intimately connected and deeply rooted in our Savior and our King. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we, we thank you for this picture of, of your faithfulness, this picture of, of your, your presence promised. Thank you that you are a God who not only makes promises but fulfills them. You're the perfect father. You never let us down. Your ways are always right and good. You'd never make mistakes. God, I pray that you would give us the response of Jacob upon seeing you reveal yourself as we encounter you on a regular basis, that we would be filled with awe, That we would say to ourselves, to one another, surely God is in this place. Let's worship him. Let's dedicate our lives again to this promise-fulfilling God. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience. We thank you that you lived a a sinless life, died died our death in our place, 
and rose to victorious new life, that we might be empowered to live for God. That the world around us might see heaven coming down to earth through the way that we live in relationship with you. I pray that you would just guide us through the rest of this time. We thank you again for your presence with us this morning. In Jesus' name, and all my brothers and sisters said with me, amen. Amen.